Hey, Pure Victory Tribe. We recently interviewed Chandler Rogers from the Relay app. Yeah, you can hear his personal story and the story of why Relay was created on episode 141. Chandler personally overcame a struggle with compulsive pornography use, and then he used his experience to give back to others by creating Relay, a group-based recovery app for people wanting freedom from addictive sexual behavior. He basically built what he wished he had during his healing journey, tools to manage recovery goals, an SOS button to reach out when feeling triggered, and a system for accountability with peers, all in a private, safe space. So you can find out more about the Relay app in the show notes and learn more about it or join a recovery group at www.joinrelay.app. Welcome to the Peer Victory Podcast, full of hot tips to help you win at sex, conquer porn, and find purpose in staying free forever. Here are your hosts, Matt Klein and Brad Hafner. Hey, 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 welcome back to Peer Victory Podcast. Matt and Brad here. Thanks for being part of our tribe and tuning in. And we uh, we just always are hopeful that this will this will change your life, change mm-hmm. somebody's life out there. And we hope that it's you. So we're excited that you're here today. And uh, we're also excited that Doug Carpenter is here today. Yeah, um, I've heard of Doug for a while. I know he's got really really good stuff. And so we connected uh, just recently. And um, and he's a he, he him and his wife are the founders of Insight Counseling Services. It's a large Christian practice in Auburn Hills, Michigan, and they've they've got two kids, uh, adult kids now, one boy and one girl, and mm-hmm. and uh, and a daughter-in-law, I guess too. So you got three yes. three in your tribe. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, but Doug is a wealth of knowledge. He's got extensive study and just therapeutic skills in lots of areas, but some of them are shame and and sexual abuse and trauma and and addictions. And so uh, we're we're excited to talk. You're also an author, and so we're going to talk lots from your first book, Childhood Trauma and the Non-Alpha Male. And so, Doug, Doug, just thanks for being here. We're excited. Well, thank you very much for having me on. I'm always excited to jump on and talk about my books and the work I'm doing and just trying to get some of these important messages out in the hands of people and parents and i thank you very much for this opportunity yeah well thanks doug we always love having people that are smarter than us on so this is great (laughs) (laughs) well i wouldn't go that far (laughs) i I tell men all the time like you know who say stuff like that to me i'm like i'm smart in one area and that's psychology yeah. If you ask me to do anything outside of psychology, you'll think I'm clueless. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We all have our specializations, don't we? But yeah. no, I appreciate it, Doug. Yours is an important one for sure. And the title of your book is just so interesting. Um, and we would love to just start moving into that and asking you about that. So childhood trauma and the non-alpha male. So um, maybe just give us a, a rundown of what that book is about. And then we'll kind of get into more in depth of some of the specifics to it. Yeah, so the the book is actually about the whole middle section of men. And I call those the non-alpha males. You know, society tells us that the whole concept of masculinity is is binary, right? That it's um you're into sports and cars and hunting and weightlifting and all this, the the jock stereotype that's what masculinity is and if you're not that then you're way over here on the other end of the continuum like you're a beta male you're weak you're passive you can't stand up for yourself you're a homosexual something you know right. and but what about the 90 percent of us that fall in the middle of the continuum who are we and, and what are we 
like I don't I don't consider myself an alpha male really at all. I'm not that into all those topics that I listed, but I also don't see myself as a beta male. I'm, I can be pretty competitive. I'm pretty strong-willed. I could be pretty outspoken. I could stand up for myself, um, which pr- probably wasn't always the case. But, you know, I, I, I looked at this middle, I'm going to say 90% of men and how do we classify ourselves if the world is saying it's either this or this you know i would have so many men come in and sit on my couch who i would view as very masculine and then that i would hear from them i i don't feel very masculine yeah and it was kind of confused well why do you not feel masculine help me understand that you know, when it would be that, you know, they're a gamer or they're into video games or they're into art or music or, you know, all these different areas outside of sports, cars, hunting, fishing, but then society has told them, well, then you're not masculine enough. That's true. And so part of my book was just looking at what are some of the challenges that this middle group faces in finding their masculinity. You know, some of that can just simply be what society has told us masculinity is supposed to be like. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's a false message. You know, so the book is really about broadening our perspective on masculinity. What does that look like? And ultimately the book is about how do, how do I help parents raise boys who are into all kinds of things, but help them have a healthy sense of masculinity. I love it. I love it. And I mean, you talk where there's 90% of us. So let's say there's 5% on either side. That means 5% would fit into the society's message of what an alpha male is or what true masculinity is. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting when I was, uh, I did some interviews. I didn't really include the interviews in the book. I, I do mention this one, but I was, uh, out with a friend and I was kind of interviewing him and he considers himself an alpha male. And he said, you know what? It kind of like irritates me a little bit that you're writing this whole thing about masculinity, about, about men. And you're using this term non-alpha males. I'm an alpha male. And do you know how much pressure I feel to maintain that? Right. Like every day I think I'm failing at being an alpha male, like and I'm not being masculine enough. And like, you have no idea what it's like to be considered an alpha male and have to keep up that image. And I was like, you know, you're right. I've never really stopped to think about that because I think all of us who are consider ourselves non alpha males, just look at alpha males and we think, well, that just comes all natural to you. Right. Yeah. You know, you came out of the womb like, um, you know, was it Esau? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, that, and that's who you are. But yeah. then to hear those men say, no, I feel so much pressure to maintain that was really insightful for me in this process. You know, and I, I had a degree of compassion for them as alpha males as well. And the stereotype that they have to, to portray. Right. And do you, do you think that as men, that's been our kind of guiding, I guess, understanding is what society says is alpha male. And we have to so- somehow stay at the mountaintop of that and the peak of that. And we look to men that are like that. 
Um, do you think that as men, that's what we bought into that this, this stereotypical kind of understanding that society is portrayed? Do you think that's informed our understanding of what it means to be a man? I, I do. I do. I think, um, you know, the media portrays that movies portray that, you know, everything that's shoved at us as men is that you have to be strong you have to be dominant. You have to see women as sex objects. You always have to be ready for sex. You have to be on top of the pile, you know, of other guys. You step over other men to get to the top of the pile. I mean, those are the messages that we get, right, as men uh, of how to be an alpha male or how to be masculine and how to be strong, which, you know, this whole term toxic masculinity is... A, you know, a huge debate and it's the thing that's uh, tossed about and pe- some people like it, some people don't like it, some people don't know how to define it. But I see a lot of those types of behaviors as toxic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's toxic to relationships. It's toxic to your own development as an individual. I don't think it aligns with the word of God uh, of how we're supposed to be as men you know, just the golden rule in and of itself to yeah. treat your neighbor as yourself goes against the whole co- corporate America where you stomp your way to the top. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's just in stark contrast to, I think of, of how God has really designed us and what he wants us to be as men. Which creates so much confusion when there's this God's design and then the message of the world. And it's like you're saying, not just the 90%, but a hundred percent of us can be confused or feel the yeah. pressure and we inside, we don't feel like we are or like we appear to others or like we are on the outside. And it's uh, it, it's tied in with shame, I would say a lot. Right. And so can you, just, can you speak to the, to the power of shame and how that comes in? Yeah. I mean, shame is, is huge. You know, it's one of the, I, I love a quote from Carl Jung, which is a, a psychologist that was trained right after Freud. And he says that shame is a soul eating disease. Mm -hmm. And I love that phrase because I do think once you allow shame into who you are or into your soul, that it does start eating you away. Now there's a difference between, and I talk about this in the book between shame and toxic shame. Shame is, you know, I, I feel shame because I did something wrong that's against my own values or perceptions or feelings or the standards that I have to live for myself. But toxic shame becomes not I did something bad. I am something bad. Right. You know, and I think that when boys don't feel like they're measuring up, that it starts breeding toxic shame within us and thinking that we're not living up to some thing we're supposed to. So that means there's something wrong with me. Right. Yeah. Because I don't fit that category of alpha males. Then I must not be masculine enough. I'm not strong enough. So there's something wrong with me. Right. Yeah. You feel like you don't match up in some way. So uh, right. there's that, that shame or that whatever else you're talking about. So I, I'm curious because often we have this marker or these markers in our life of what we're shooting for as men. That's what we got to get to. But what is actually an alpha male in a good sense? Um, so I'm sure you talk about this in the book, but what does it mean to be uh, a godly man, a man who um, is, I guess, identified with what we understand out of the Bible. Because um, sometimes we miss that. We think that we look to society, but we have what we need 
in scripture. Um, we've got models there. Um, Jesus has given us a model. So maybe talk about what, what is the marker for us? What are we shooting for when we talk about what it means to be a man? Well, well, good. I, I would say that number one, we would have to remove these titles of alpha and Mm non-alpha that we are just men and we are designed to be in God's image. You know, and I think the life of Jesus was a perfect example of strength of fortitude, but yet showing the fruits of the spirit. It's balance. It's living a life in balance where I attend to my kids. I attend to my wife. I attend to my work. I attend to my spiritual being. It's living a life of balance in a healthy trajectory and not overdoing it in any one of those areas, Mm. you know, which society tells us as men work, 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 success, success, success is the way to show and prove your masculinity. And I don't think that's true. Mm. I would much rather be a healthy father and a healthy husband than a, a prolific psychologist. Right. Right. You know, and I believe that's more what God has called us to do. But it has to be done in a life of balance. And I just look around at so many men today, and I feel like our lives are out of balance. You know, and I think some of that comes from, I, I would say men anywhere from, you know, 35 and up have been raised by a generation of men that haven't been so healthy. We have a huge problem with uh, father absence, fathers not being in the homes, fathers that were raised by other men who were toxic and didn't know how to attune to children, let alone male children, but just children in general. And so, you know, I think you've got people who were raised in that kind of environment who are now starting to come through an awakening process that, Hey, these methods didn't work. I have got to develop myself in a different way. I've got to be attuned to my wife. I've got to be attuned to my children to, to raise healthy boys, Mm. you know? And so I think father absence has been a huge contributor to the problems with the males in this generation and and what they didn't get in their development. And then if your father was present, if he was unavailable, if he wasn't emotionally tuned to you, if he was physically or verbally or God forbid, sexually abusive to you, then I think you have a lot of men who've ended up with what I call a father wound, Mm -hmm. you know, which is, is, a horrible thing for a boy to go through, to not have some kind of healthy male role model to emulate, to assimilate and accept into who they are. Because I think part of growing healthy masculinity is having a healthy model to follow after. You know, if we look at social learning theorists, they're all about modeling and imitation. And and if we don't have a role model for that, where do I get that as a boy? Yeah. You know, and, and in this younger generation, we're having a problem because what has fathered these boys has been porn and video games and 
go into school where curriculums are more written for girls and so then boys struggle and so that then they get labeled adhd and thrown on adderall Mm-hmm. and Concerta and Ritalin. And we have all these negative outside influences that are raising boys instead of people being attuned to their true needs. Mm-hmm. And I love, um, this book is starting to get a little dated at this point, but it's still so applicable. Philip Zimbardo, was a, he's a famous social psychologist. And I don't know if either one of you have heard of him, but he wrote a book called The Demise of Guys. Mm. And he predicted that if our culture kept going in some of the areas that it was going, it appeared to be going, he predicted some of the things that we, we would be seeing now. And and the it's coming to pass. I mean, he was absolutely correct that you have a, a group of boys now who would rather look at pornography and take care of themselves physically than put in the energy that yeah. it takes to date a female yep. and to yeah. develop a relationship or they don't, they haven't even been taught the skills of how to treat a female, yeah. right? how to appropriately engage with a female to, to develop a relationship to where you could even then ask them out on a date. Yep. I can't tell you how many college boys have sat in my office who are scared to death of girls. Mm-hmm. They're scared to death to talk to girls. They don't know how to talk to a girl. They don't know how to ask a girl out. When it comes to sex, they think pornography is easier. Uh, you know, and and I have a urologist friend who refers um, people to me, and he has actually referred several young men who are struggling with erectile dysfunction yeah. because of how much porn they've used. Yeah. You know, this is not the way we develop masculinity right. in boys. It's true. We need attuned fathers. We need attuned youth leaders and pastors and elders to help come together as a community to raise boys in, in the way they need to be raised. Yeah, it's really good stuff. It's really good stuff. I, I had a buddy over a few days ago and... He, he didn't have a dad and his, uh, like never met his dad and his dad's passed away. And then his, uh, mom had a, uh, like intellectually, she was about an eight year old. And so his upbringing was really, really rough. And so he was over and, uh, just a couple of days ago. And so our oldest is four. And, um, and I was saying to our, our guy, David, I was saying, Hey, look him in the eyes when he was talking to my friend. And so I said right. that twice and, my buddy looked at me and he goes, you know, it's so interesting because I was listening in his favorite comedian also doesn't have a father. And he said, recently I was listening to this comedian and he said, when you don't have a dad, you don't even know what you don't know. And this comedian right. said, for example, I didn't know how long to look people in the eyes. Mm. And so then my friend yes. was watching me do this with our son and he was like, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And uh, and so how I met this guy was uh, about 10 years ago, he didn't know where to, li- where to live. And so my roommate and I, and I brought him in and he didn't pay us anything, but he was helping us with chores. And I remember I, I said, okay, now's the time. The first day you can go out and you can, you can mow our lawn. And he said, I don't know how to run a lawnmower. Right. And I went, really? And it just never even occurred to me. Yeah. And then I went and I taught him how to turn it on, but then he didn't know how to do the pattern in the grass in the yard. And so just so many life skills. I was like, man, but I look at this guy and I'm leading somewhere because I look at him and I, now he's come so far and he's a 
husband and a dad and he's uh, he's great i mean we all have things to be sharpened in but but my question to you doug is on the the reactive side when somebody has grown up with toxic masculinity in the home or they don't know who they are how do they rectify that how do they come into a proper identity of uh, that uh, you know that god gave them yeah when when i was growing up um i'll tell you just a little story here and lead into that my father grew up in a very toxic environment his dad was abusive his dad was not attentive and my dad had to work in the farm um, from the age five on up and so he always said to himself if i have kids i am going to totally leave them alone so they can be kids so when he had kids my dad literally had nothing to do with us. Like he ignored us except like he was at home for dinner at five 30 and then he was off working more. And he thought he was doing the right thing by leaving us alone. Like he just wanted us to be kids, but I was dying for his attention. I was starving for him to be attuned to me. And that, really didn't happen until I was in my mid twenties. And then he kind of told me, you know, I'm aware of the mistakes I made that I didn't raise you. I didn't put anything into you. Mm. Um, And then we actually started a more healthy relationship from there. But when you don't have that, it's difficult to know where to turn. And, And how do I get that? You know, for myself, I started reading books I started trying to find mentors that I looked up to. I tried to find men in my life that I thought were good leaders and start emulating their behavior. Um, I tried to find some good male friendships where I felt like I could be attuned to. And so then I would also say, and this may sound ironic, I think probably the, the single most biggest factor of my own healing has been raising my own son Mm. because I decided that I was going to be the father to my son that I always wanted. And so I was very careful to be very attuned to him, give him a lot of affection, give him a lot of affirmation. You know, it's funny. I was telling you guys earlier that I don't consider myself an alpha male. But I raised a kid who is an alpha male to the extreme. It really cracks me up. Like people meet us and be like, how, how (laughs) did this happen? Like, (laughs) (laughs) but in chapter, I I believe it's 24 in my book, I give 25 tips to parents to raise healthy children. And really all 25 of those is being attuned to your child. Mm. Like I paid attention to what my kid liked. When he was very young, he had a a natural inclination to get sticks and hit things. So I'm like, okay, we're getting this kid into drum lessons, you know, and I supported him all that way. And I listened to him play the drums until I thought I was going to go deaf. You know, he loved trucks and loved monster trucks. So I carted him off to monster route, not monster truck rallies, one after another, after another, after another. And did I like all that? No, I didn't like that. (laughs) (laughs) 
but he did. Yeah. You know, he took an archery class in school and his professor came to me when he was in seventh grade and said, your son is an amazing shot. Like, I really think he could do something with this. And so I bought him a bow and arrow. We started getting him in archery lessons. And then that led to, to gun lessons. Um, and he's a great shot. And so then, of course, he wanted to go hunting. Well, I don't kill animals. I just don't. <laughs> I'm the one that will kick cute, pick up the cute little puppy and, you know, love it. Um, but we went turkey hunting with him for the first time. And I literally sat in the blind with a McDonald's sweet tea and a book. And he hunted and got a turkey and I helped him pull it out of the woods. Now, did I enjoy that? I enjoyed seeing him happy. Yeah. I can't say that I enjoyed that, but I enjoyed seeing him happy. So I've always tried to be very attuned to who he is, not who I want him to be. But who he is naturally, I think kids will tell you who they are. Mm. I think kids will tell you what they like and what they're good at. If you will just take the time as a parent to pay attention to them. Now, I very much guided them. I very much tried to mold them in the way of of morals and ethics. And just like uh, Matt, you were talking about your son. I taught them how to shake somebody's hand, how to look them in the eye, how to say yes, ma'am. And no, ma'am. And yes, sir. And, you know, and, and how to be a polite individual. You know, we talked about bullying in our house. I taught them, you don't bully you. We, the carpenters don't do that. That's not our mantra. That's not our, our mission of our family. You know, that you, if you see a kid on the playground by himself, then that's the kid you go play with. You know, I tried to instill really strong moral and ethical values in them while allowing him and helping him to develop into the person that he naturally was. Right, right. That's powerful. Well, and then as a parent, what you're sharing, um, it, you learn so much from that, but I think every, the neat thing is, is your son. And I think we all, as in our formative years, we have that question as men, am I loved? Do I have what it, what it takes? Am I yes. good? Am I, do I, you know, do you like me? Am I, am I someone that you see? You know, those questions, yes. those deep heart questions that we, we look to our dads to, to answer, right? And, right? and sometimes because we're in a broken world, those questions aren't answered in a way that was helpful. Um, sometimes they were, but sometimes they weren't, or there was neglect. Um, it just never occurred. Um, or we were given right. bad messaging too, like, no, you're not good or no, you don't have what right. it takes. So it's all these challenging things. And then I think what happens when I'm picking up on for you too, is what you're saying is then we bring that, those questions to the world as we grow up and we become performative. Yeah. There's this outward striving. We want to look the part. We want to be the part. And maybe we have shame with that because we don't feel like we're matching up, but we're still having this outward striving. But what you're talking about as a parent, we're speaking from a dad to a son is working on the inner life of receiving that core identity needs. And so that's so interesting because I mean, a lot of these core identity needs that we have, um, our dads, some of them were attended to, but at the same time Mm. they weren't. So then we have to look to our heavenly father to provide right. that, that, those, those identity core things to be met. And then so often I know for myself too, cause you can get into your twenties and then you start thinking, well, I got to perform, have this outward kind of right. appearance, but I, I neglect the inner life. 
I'm not dealing with my emotions. I'm not dealing with my past. I'm not dealing with what's happening internally. And then so you have this, uh, I guess this, uh, you have this lack in your life and you're looking to get that mashed up. So that's what you're talking about. I think that's a big reason why porn has been so entrenched into our culture and, and for, for men in particular, because you're, you're, you feel like you're getting some sort of inner yes. identity core need met. Of, co- yes. of course, that's a well, lie. And that was the other thing I yeah. did as a father. I educated my son about sex. Yeah. I did, my kid literally through his seniors could walk up and ask me about sex. Just like if he was saying, is the sun out today? I love it. Like we made it a normal conversation. Like, the first time he got an erection at like five years old, he was like, he called me in his room and said, dad, why is this like this? (laughs) You know, and we just talked about it. I just made it like no big deal, Mm -hmm. you know, and throughout life, whenever he had a question, I just answered it. We talked about it. I educated him along the way. That way he didn't have any misperceptions about sexuality. I, I did. I told him, about porn. I talked to him about masturbation. I talked to him about the dangers of porn, that porn is never going to answer his questions. Dad will answer his questions truthfully, but the TV screen will not. Right. You know, and again, that's just being attuned to your child and being a responsible parent. There was no subject in our house that was off limits or was too embarrassing to talk about. That's awesome. Now, I remember one time he walked out on the porch and he started asking me some questions. And I was like, I am so glad I have my sunglasses on right now. (laughs) (laughs) And he can't see my eyes bulging out of my head. (laughs) So it can be uncomfortable, but it's not off topic. Right. And I would rather him know from me and get truthful information than what Philip Zimbardo talked about in this book the demise of guys of if boys keep watching porn what is gonna where they're gonna be in relation to their ability to connect with females and i will say that my son had the same girlfriend from the middle of junior high and married her last year Wow, wow cool you know for seven years they dated and when he was 21 he's like dad we want to get married well how could i say no you've been dating for seven years yeah that's awesome <laughs> That's awesome. You know, but I also tried to model to him how to treat a wife and how to to treat a female and how to talk to a female. But again, it's just going back to those basics. Yeah. If you will just attune to them and be present for them and speak into their lives. It's I don't think it's that hard to raise upstanding citizens. Hmm. Cool. Reminds me, I heard a, a, I won't say his name, but a, a Christian pastor in the States that he's well known. And he was talking about one of his sons, uh, like the dad is a football guy, a sports guy. One of his sons, he wanted him to be a football player. His whole inclination was to be musical and creative and artsy. Yeah. And so the dad, when he was older, when the son was older, I guess like your dad was like, hey, I realized yeah. I screwed up. I'm sorry. But then they've yeah. kind of rebounded and the, the son is now creating all this really cool stuff. Uh, yeah. and putting it out there in, in with music and shows and things like that. But right. but so what he was saying was train up a child in the way he, you should go 
he changed it, not change it, but like he looked at the original language and what he got, and I haven't researched it, but he said it actually means like according to their bent, like mm-hmm. train up a child according to their bent, yes. not just exactly. morals, but like who are they? So that's yeah. what you're saying, exactly. hey? Exactly. Yeah, my son, like, you know, I work in the field of psychology. I've seen a lot of people with head injuries, and especially from like playing football. And I always said, my kid will never play football. Well, when he became a freshman, guess what he wanted to do? He wanted to play football. So, of course, me being the dad that I am, okay, you can play football. So I went to football game after football game. And in Michigan, it's cold and icy and snowy during football season. So it's miserable. And I would get him in the car and he'd be like, Dad, I'm sorry. I know you don't like this. And I would say, but that's all right. Dad doesn't like this. But dad is so happy that you like this. Cool that I'm willing to come and sit in the snow in the freezing rain to watch you have a good time. That's wow. cool. So I was careful to praise him and affirm him even for the junk I didn't like to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful. And I'm curious because this understanding as parents is so helpful um, to kind of break some of the cycles that occurred earlier on. I mean, we want to be honest. Our parents did provide some good, um, of course they did. Um, but at the same time, it's it's being able to aware of the areas where maybe there was deficiency or I don't know if even that's the right word, or there was just a lack. And so we can, a lack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, for people out there that are hearing this, that maybe they they came out of a difficult circumstance or even one more of neglect where they weren't getting what they need, where men weren't getting right. what they need. What can they do now? Because I know I'm sure you deal with this all the time in your office of guys that have a father wound, um, don't know what it means to be a man. Um, maybe there's some listeners out there that that place right now and are not really sure. So what would you say to them um, if they were as if they were in your office kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, you know, in part of therapy, I try to help men to work through their father wounds mm-hmm. and to really take a look at what did you get? What did you not get? What was helpful? What do you want to keep? What do you not want to keep? Or what are you lacking? And if you're lacking in something, how can you learn to give that to yourself? Mm. How can you learn to self-affirm and praise yourself for the good things that you do? You know, where are the mentors in your life? You know, no man is an island. You've got to have other men. What do your, your relationships with other men look like? How much are you willing to make yourself vulnerable and share and learn from other men? And, you know, everybody's father wound is a very individual process. So your question's a little difficult to answer because everybody needs different things. Mm-hmm. You know, when I really try to help men figure out how can you get that now from yourself or, or your current environment to begin to heal that wound mm-hmm. you know and like i said for me it was raising my son because yep. i just decided like i said i was going to be the father that i wanted and for whatever reason that brought me a ton of healing to know that i've raised a good human being who is attuned to me and i'm attuned to him he my son gave me the biggest compliment um last summer we were out and we were just I was just talking to him about his grandfather and my life growing up. And and we were sitting in P.F. Chang's eating Chinese food. And he looked across from me and he goes, Dad, you, who, you are who you are in spite of your dad. 
I am who I am because of my dad. Uh-huh. And push the Chinese aside and just start crying. Yeah, you know, it, eh? like that touched me on such a, such a deep level because I knew that I had accomplished my goal wow. of being that connected father. And and I'm not here to say that I was the perfect father. I've done a ton wrong. But, you know, even when you're attuned to a child, if you do something wrong, you make that repair and it heals. Totally. It doesn't end up being a wound. Totally. And you help them just continue to grow through life. Totally. So I think men have to work hard now to find ways to heal the wounds, their father wounds that they have inside of them. And I think there are lots of ways to do that. There, believe it or not, there are a lot of healthy men's groups out there. There are a lot of healthy men's podcasts, just like the one that you two do. You know, there are ways to start healing these wounds within you, but you have to be an active process in that. You can't take a passive, like it's just going to come to you. Right. Yeah. You have to be an active process in meeting your own needs at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Can you speak briefly? Because I always think about this. We're talking about father wounds, but is mother wounds a term? A term? Oh, oh, my word. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I have a really good friend who his name is Dan Hitz, and he uh, he talks about mother wounds. He's actually done a podcast with Drew Boa from Husband Material where they talk about mother wounds. But yes, mother wounds are a thing. Yeah. I mean, I see men who whose mothers had a mental illness. Yeah. Mothers who were, you know, mothers can be just as abusive as, as fathers can be or stepmothers who've been abusive to kids. Yes. Men can have mother wounds and, and the way and and that can really mess up the way that they choose to then interact with women mm-hmm. or totally. how they feel with women or the respect they give women or the unconscious, even punishment of women. Yeah. You know, so yes, mother wounds exist just as much as father wounds. Yeah. I just tend to focus on, on father wounds because that was my own wounding. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it comes up all the time. The guys that we work with, it's always, oh, I mean, there's the father and the mother, but there's so many different mother things. I just don't hear a lot of people talking about the term, the mother, mother wounds, but yes, but it's, it's certainly a thing. So I'm glad that you they definitely yeah. exist. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, Doug, you've got a book that you chat, you talk, or we talked from today, but we'd love for you to get that out. Where can people find that? And where can people find any other resources from you? Yeah, the book is Childhood Trauma and the Non-Alpha Male. I do have a website. It's just douglascarpenter.com. Um, all my books are on Amazon, or you can just go to my website, and you can email me uh, through the website, and the, uh, the website will also link you to the Amazon page where you can can purchase the books if that's something that you're interested in. That's awesome. Thanks so much. And that link will be in the show notes. And make sure to tune in next week. We're going to talk about another book of Doug's. Um, talk about male sexual abuse, but also um, development, not just abuse. If you if you never suffered abuse, make sure to still tune in because sexual development is a real thing. So uh, thanks so much, Doug, for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear more, please visit purevictorypodcast.com to subscribe. This podcast was made possible by the generous donations of our subscribers. If you would like to help support the cause financially, once again, please visit purevictorypodcast.com.